Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The first four hours were simply in a moose-bouche. I'm stuffed. I can't remember the last time I ate this much. Sure you don't want no dessert? Not for me. Yeah, good. Your table is ready for Carmen and Lima's emerging podcast scene. We're brought to you by Extend Technologies. Should we play the Barry Alvarez interview tomorrow and pick ourselves apart? So people <laughs> at the station had problems with the way we conducted Keith, Keith, the interview? Keith. And Of course, uh, he said part of that wasn't our fault. Oh, Okay. Because um, so he's putting it on Barry Alvarez himself. No, there was a wow. miscommunication with somebody close to Barry Alvarez about the timing of it. Assistant brand and manager so calls out he, former college coach. He might not have been in the best of moods when he actually answered the phone uh, because of the mess. So up. he did not know there was an interview at that time. He thought it was. I think he was under the impression it might have been at nine o'clock, his time. Eight central. Eight central. Yeah. Which was at 7 Central was when we actually wanted yeah. to conduct it. Well, couldn't we have just acquiesced and changed the time to when Barry Alvarez well, wanted to do it? Well, we didn't know that he I don't think didn't he, know. I think he was willing so, to do it whenever. He just didn't want to. The 50th time you call someone, then they're yeah. like, let's just do it now since I've. Yeah. So that kind of. And then because he was kind of quick with the answers, it did it fluster us? Do you want to admit that? When a guy when a guy short answers you, then you scramble to start figuring out questions. I don't know if fluster is the word, but you uh, scramble to figure out questions. I'll admit, and I think I openly admitted earlier, that Barry Alvarez is one of the more intimidating guys. Yes. When I think of sports figures. And here's, Barrel-chested Nebraska and, football player. And here's why. I have been to Big Ten media days in the past. I've covered. Really? I've covered college football when I was at Ohio State was when Barry Alvarez probably was the most intimidating he's ever been in his life. Remember, I brought up today that Lee Evans, I think it was Gamble, that he made that out-and-up move on, and mm-hmm. they ended the Buckeyes' 19-game win streak in 2004. That was Dustin that Fox's game. senior year, I believe. That was at Camp Randall, wasn't it, at night? It at Camp Randall. The place was deafening. I'm going to wager to say it was Mike Patrick 
on the call wow. with, with Mike Godfrey, or was it no? It was Ron. It was Ron, Ron Franklin. Was I think it? It was Ron Franklin. We just and lost Coach Ron Gottlieb. Was Gottlieb? Did I just get the other guy's name wrong? Probably. You got it right. Okay, and I think they were on the call, and that J- place. Jim Donnan? No, no, no. Okay. And now I'm going to go back and watch watch the replay. Which uh, year sure. are we talking about? Remember, Lee Evans went to Bedford. We'll say it's 03 or 04. Am I getting everything wrong? No, I think Lee Evans is from here. Okay. Yes. And it was an so incredible play. Chambers. And in that game, you're right, Chris Chambers as well. And in that game, I think the thing people will take note of the most from that game was the Jim Sorgi chokehold. Yep. Who was the Ohio State linebacker? Who'd Ryan sh- Reynolds. Was it Robbie, Robbie Reynolds? Robbie Reynolds. I think that's who it was. Yeah. It was. I think it was. The choke. And that was what people remembered. So it was not only did Ohio State lose, yeah. they they were poor sports during the game. Krenzel was still the quarterback, but I remember Krenzel was not having a good year at all. It, it makes you think back to the year before and wonder how the hell Ohio State went undefeated and then yeah. won the national championship. Krenzel was not exactly. Robert Reynolds was suspended one game yeah. yesterday for jamming his fingers into the throat of Wisconsin quarterback and I remember Jim Sorge. That was the biggest controversy in college football at that point. Ohio State had lost. People were saying you're overrated. I remember they had played earlier in that season Phillip Rivers and was it T.A. McClendon in a triple overtime thriller? Yep. They had also almost, I think, lost to Marshall. Mm-hmm. I think they needed a game-winning field goal. Now it's all coming back to me. It's all come back to me that season. And I also remember they lost to Michigan on the road. I was there. That was not a fun game. Nope. And Ohio State used both quarterbacks. 35-21 they, they lost. They that used day, Scotty that McMullen yep. and Craig Krenzel. So the reason I remember I this year so I called my friend so Joe Serretta to congratulate him. Uh, oh. He was a big Michigan fan. That's, I was a big Ohio State and fan. And then you became a Michigan fan after I that. I am not a Michigan fan. And Love. then Ohio State went to the Fiesta Bowl. When it was in actual uh, uh, on campus, and we partied like crazy. I was there for the week. Mm-hmm. We golfed at Camelback. Uh, I remember Jerry Revish from uh, WBNS TV. We had some drinks. Jerry Revish and Andrea Camburn. They were the famous dynamic duo in Central Ohio TV. Really, Kenny, we loved Andrea Camburn. I mean, she was she was awesome. She was very very skilled, very talented, uh, and they ended up playing Kansas State. Oh, they won that game. Yes, Bill they, Schneider. They ended up playing Bill Bill Schneider. Kansas. Now, State. do you remember the '04 Buckeyes? Rough a rough run there in the middle of the, se- the middle of the schedule. They lost three in a row. Did they get blown up by Iowa? Uh, I think they did. They the lost. They lost to Northwestern. Was crazy. Iowa and who else? Oh my god! Who did they right. lose to in 04? I, was it Wisconsin again? Was it Wisconsin again? Well, I don't want to look it up. I don't want to look any of it up. Just real quick, some housekeeping here. <laughs> Wisconsin. Correcting ten things. Never mind. That was the wrong one. It was Iowa. Keep it, going. Okay. So, well, who are the three? Are you doing 04? No, I was looking at 03 for oh, the okay. announcers. Oh, okay. Oh. Said Musburger, but that's wrong. That was the Iowa game. No, you would have remembered Musburger, mm-hmm. honestly. No offense to um, well, the remember, other guys. Well, you would have remembered Jackaroot. Oh, you but bet your ass you'd remember Jackaroot. But listen, Sunday night foot. Excuse oh my me. Gosh, I love. I miss Brent, well. Saturday night football during that time was not the big game. 
Saturday night, they, yep. they had started yep. they had right. three. Started yeah. to evolve. Afternoons. Um, you're right. And then ABC got the big Saturday night game. No longer did ESPN get the big Saturday night game. Mm-hmm. ESPN is still getting big games. And remember, Big Ten is going to be gone from ESPN, which is yep. going to be crazy. That is just crazy to be think. be around all over the place. But that's how bad these other networks were dying to get the Big Ten. Not because they thought the Big Ten was the best football, but because the Big Ten, people still don't understand this in the South. The Big Ten, by and large, they just have bigger fan bases. They have more people around the country. The people in the South, I mean, I get it. It means more, right? They always say, SEC, it means more. But the amount of people that drop everything on Saturdays in the Midwest yeah. to follow college football. It's why they don't have the best teams, but they still get as much, if not the, be- yeah. the most money. Well, there is a, I, I kind of wanted to bring up during a college football breakdown at some point here over the next month. Like, do we want to do a preview and things like that? But uh, I, gosh, I miss, I miss so much. We didn't know how good we had it because there's so many games and I'm talking to a ESPN play-by-play guy here when I'm saying this, we have so many games that not a lot of guys stick out. And so you would have Brett Musburger, and you would have these big crowds, and it, and when you remember Jack Aroot, because he would ha- he'd be up in the booth, and it would be like with Gary Danielson, and Gary Danielson be talking, and they like the crowds would be going nuts, like they'd be at Penn State, places going ape, and he, ah, with a look of the Nittany Lions, let's send it down to Jack Aroot, and Jack Aroot was always wearing like a leather jacket and like a hat that was pulled down with like a, a round brim over it, and then the gloves. And you knew, man, like Jack Root and the he would be standing next to a crowd, crowd be going nuts, that type of thing. It was always really, really mm-hmm. good stuff, really well oh, presented. Yeah. Oh yeah, I hope it's still the same presentation. But either way, I um, I, I was listening to one of our other things real quick, and then I'm going to get to the political point I wanted to make. And then we have Dan Murphy joining us from uh, uh, he's an art, he's an author now with Mark Bona on a, on a book called No Ordinary Joe. It's about Joe Thomas, and we'll talk to Dan about his book coming up here at 10:40. But um. I heard a I heard an opinion from Tom Fornelli, and I read it because I do because we carry the Cover Three podcast and I listen to that podcast. But I also I also read Tom Fornelli, and I respect Tom Fornelli. But there's a lot of things I disagree with him on, and one of the things that he said was this is no big win for the Big Twelve to get Colorado, and I'm thinking, man, I just disagree with this because we're just seeing right now. There is the SEC, there is the Big Ten, and it goes back to what you just said, why the Big Ten is number two or even number one when it comes to some of the money, things like that, and then it's everybody else. And remember, this is why I do think it's a big win for the Big 12, because when Colorado had started, when Colorado had left and Nebraska had left and Mizzou and Texas A&M, the Big 12 has been dead to us or on its dying days five times in our lives. Mm-hmm. And they found ways to survive, and I I do feel it is a bit sim, uh, symbolic for Colorado twelve years later to come back to the Big Twelve. I think it's a big thing for the Big Twelve that they're the ones the Pac twelve at that time or Pac ten at that time had major West Coast cities. You have the University of Washington right there in Seattle that does have a nice fan base. You obviously have the LA market at that time. There were so many things pointing to this is the end of the Big 12, and there they are later. We were the ones that got the television deal done. You're the ones that lost your L.A. market, your biggest market. Yes, Texas and Oklahoma are leaving. We found a way to stay alive, and I think that does matter because I think the ACC, that 
10-year thing is prohibitive. And we're going to find out here because I think it's mid-August when they have to decide whether or not they're going to stay for the next year. They plan on leaving, I should say. And we're going to find out with FSU and Clemson about where they plan on being here in the future. And maybe the ACC that does have a lot of academic schools that are hard to get into, which means it's hard to it's hard to get some guys who are ass kickers. It's harder to clear them. It's harder to do it with the December signing day. We might start start to see that crumble. And so a, te- a, a conference like the Big Twelve, I think it is an accomplishment. I've always to assumed, stay alive. I've always assumed that the ACC will be no more in the next in the next decade. I don't know how long it's going to take, and I, don't, I know I don't the contracts wrong. are tough. And so we're going to be down to the SEC the Big Ten, and then depending on what these ACC schools do, mm-hmm. that could dictate what the Big 12 ultimately does on whether or not we're just down to two conferences or whether we're at three Yeah, that are going to be taken seriously and that everybody, because once they see some of the teams flocking, then everybody has to flock because yeah. you are in self-preservation mode, and that's what all these schools are. You heard Barry Alvarez talk with us today. The one answer he actually decided to uh, uh, extend his answer, he I'm not blaming him. He, I'm just blaming circumstances. He he basically said that I don't like any of this, but damn it, we have to participate. Yep. We have to evolve or else we're going to be left behind. And the Big Ten was never going to allow that to happen. They make too much money. They wanted to preserve that cash cow. They wanted to grow that cash mm-hmm. cow. And so just look at, look at the finances of everything going on, and you see bubbles bursting with regional sports networks. Yes. What is the Big Ten doing? Getting bigger and bigger contracts. Yep. yep. And that's why I got defense. And, and I thought Tom Fornelli had a great point when he said, nobody's left the Big Ten. Nobody's left the ACC. Or, excuse me, the SEC. And he's right about that. But I think it is a win where a conference that we thought was going to die three separate times, f- honestly, five yeah. separate times, but three separate times that we can remember within our lifetime that they were able to bring back another school that they used to have, maybe poach Arizona by the end of this, by the time it's all said and done. And they're finding their niche going, we have some decent football programs here, but we have a lot of really good basketball and that still can make money for us. We are finding a way to stay together. Now, ultimately maybe in the next 10, 15, 20 years, the big 12 will be no more and they'll find other pastures. But the Big 12 has found a way to survive where, you know, CUSA and a couple other ones, like they are, they're holding on for dear life. And the Pac-12 is holding on for dear life. I think the ACC is feeling the heat, definitely. And right now, I think the Big 12 is in a pretty decent position. They are not in the Big 10 position. They're not in the SEC. They never will. But I think the Big 12 is in a decent position, and I think they should be given credit for that and finding a way to, to, to bring in schools that want to be a part of it, at least for the now and for the foreseeable future. I have a political opinion to share with you. Last week, I saw Mitch McConnell have a medical emergency, it seemed, right there on the dais, a, um, an incident. I don't necessarily know what it was, but it seemed to be bad. I saw Diane Feinstein be confused and somebody tell her to vote, just whisper in her ear on how to vote. I think that a lot of people this is the this is the predominant thing you see on social media that Republicans and Democrats and a lot of people can get along with but I think it's a frustrating fruitless conversation. I think a lot of people agree we need term limits. How are we ever going to get term limits because like if I'm Ken Carmen, I'm I'm running for senator in Ohio 
And when I become senator in Ohio, I will have term. I will fight for term limits. Now that might be if I made that my major platform, that might be something I stick with, right? But I don't think it's ever going to happen. Because wouldn't you, if you got voted in to Congress, if you got voted into the Senate, wouldn't you just want to keep your job as long as you possibly could? Well, I imagine if that was your platform, then the private interest groups who invest heavily in relationship building would then not want to endorse you. There you go. I think they That's are big proponents of, of that. It's like asking uh, congressional members and also those in state legislatures all around the country. It's like asking them to cease uh, gerrymandering. Like, they're not going to. Mm-hmm. And even when they're told by the courts to do so, they still won't do it. <laughs> so uh, it, it's it's asking them to be doing things in good faith. And why would they ever do things in good faith when we find out once they win elections, all they care about is amassing more and more power and cutting out the other side? Yes. And that's where I become frustrated, and I think it's a fruitless conversation. Like, I think it's turned into politics answer of the salary cap in baseball. We know we're never getting one, okay? And I don't think we're ever getting term limits. I just just don't don't think there's a possibility to it for the reasons that you said. Mm -hmm. And And I also thought it was just basic human survival instinct. You get a job, you want to keep it. Didn't he? And you want to protect it. Yeah, well, along the same and lines. And you also believe that if you're in a position where you can exert power like you can in politics, you would believe you're the only one for the job. That somebody mm-hmm. else is not ready to take your – if you have a term limit of, say, you know what? You can serve two six-year terms in that what the Senate is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can serve two, and then that's it. You can serve 12 years in the Senate. Which is a long time. Yeah. So much changes It's in a very years. long time. I mean, that could be three presidencies for crying out loud. I mean, that's a lot. I just don't think that anybody who's a Senate or a congressperson would ever change their thinking because they're ultimately going to believe that they are always the best person for the job. Yeah, don't we always say, hey, put them on our, our health insurance, see how that works. And then they vote and they say, no, we are going to create our own health insurance. Yep. And we are not going to abide by any of that when we talk about what your health insurance should be. Same thing with stock trading. Finally, finally, right? The rest of the country has all the lists. Here's how congressional and Senate members do. Here's how they do in Congress when it comes to stock trading. And guess who has all the information on who's creating jobs and all the innovation, uh, whether it's in pharmaceutical or tech, uh, manufacturing? Who has the ends to all of that? Oh, our congressional members. Oh, look at these stock trades. Oh, they always seem to be performing uh, a lot better than the rest of the general public. Even some of the best finance people in the country, they are doing exponentially better. Let's get this uh, on, on track. Let's finally get this in hearings, public hearings. They voted on it. They turned it down. They rejected it. So they are still allowed to do their stock trading. Yeah. And uh, Republicans and Democrats both, uh, you always hear the same few, but they all are doing it. They all are doing it. They're all making money on it, and they're never going to stop. And it's now a media thing. I mean, media brings it up. Watchdog groups bring it up. Plenty, plenty of people bring it up. But they don't have the power of the lobbying industry. You don't see lobbyists out there saying, we don't want congressional members making yeah. money on stocks. So there's no lobbying power for that. And they voted on it and they uh, turned it. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I am as disenchanted with political po- or political parties as I've ever been in my life. Your thoughts? I've heard that, though, my whole life. From everybody. Nah, I feel it. I, I, I think... But then I've heard that, too. But... I've heard... I've heard, I think I've heard said exactly that. that exchange between me and you about dissension in politics and what you just brought but up. But I, I And then believe, I hear people say, it's been like that my whole life. But you're no, the one... No, it's never been more than now. No. And then we'll hear that again in okay, four years. But we we do... You now, you and I make a big show of it on the air, but you know how I really vote mm-hmm. and how I have historically really voted. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't intend on bringing it up right now. Yeah, your votes have been a joke. Um... Uh, you know how I have voted you, behind the scenes because we do not discuss our political parties, even though yours is basically out there 100% for a lot of people. We do not discuss our political parties, but I do feel more than ever disenchanted. And there was a time where I felt that there was no way on earth I would ever vote with the other side. And to this point, I'm just I'm thinking, and I know a lot of things change in your life. There's a difference between a man in his 20s and his 30s, and there will be a difference in me from my 30s to my 40s to my 50s, and then we'll see what happens mm-hmm. after that. But I really do truly feel, and I think a lot of people who say, "Why well, I, I I don't believe in either party," I think they're just saying something that's safe in a conversation. If you say now you are a staunch conservative, it does not mean the same thing to a lot of people. I mean, I think there's always been radicalism in in politics that if you were to tell certain people they would automatically go off a deep end on you i think there's always been that but i think now more than ever if you have a conversation with a general solid person who has their grip on reality and you say i'm a staunch conservative i am a die in the wool liberal I think that you will get a conversation that pe- most people are uncomfortable with and they don't want to participate in. So they, they conveniently say, or for the most part, they say to, to be safe, I am separated from both major political parties. I think that that's what you get out of people. Me, I'm telling you on a stack of Bibles a mile high, I am so completely disenchanted without any thought to either political party right now, either major political party. And then you see some of the ideals of some of the other things that are brought out. And there's always this, 
this corner of some of these things. I'm going, eh, I can get with this. I can get with this. And then there's something you go, nope, can't get with that. Do not want to be associated with that. Bye-bye. Like that type of thing I think happens to people. I do. We got Dan Murphy joining us mm. soon, but does we'll that make any sense? We'll ask about his politics and how he voted I on mean, issue one. I'm trying to be, honestly, I'm just trying to be a normal American who wants to let people have their personal freedoms, no matter what that is. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that there is, and I do believe that we should, we should take care of people and take care of each other. And I want people to be able to experience freedom and to be able to experience opportunity and it just gets caught in this rhetoric, and I just get I, I I really just get disgusted by some of the people out there that I see on TV. Well, now it's all performative because exactly. people have learned how to leverage social media and win elections doing so. And that's by the way, that is not well, one party. That not, is both honestly, parties. Honestly, Anthony, it's not even just to win elections. It's also to, to get donorship. It's also to get that. It's also to get the to get people to rally behind you just so you can create a, a, a war chest, if you will. And, and, you know, have a little bit off uh, the part that helps you. I mean, that's why some people, like, there's been some people who've jumped into the race for president in 2024, and we go, why? Why would they do that? Well, well, no, they've ran for president. That just bolsters their stock for network news, for for cable access, or cable news channels, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But I I do tell you, I I read what people say. It seems that both major political parties are down with... Really done with the cause for um, for term limits, and I'm just like, well, I I think we're all shouting into the wind. And Doesn't mean you shouldn't say it, but I think yeah. we're all shouting into. And I that's told, why no better time to bring on Dan Murphy. And I told Dan you guys are going to ask him his political party. To yeah. Start off. So yeah, majority rule. Dan yeah. obviously under fire right now, fifty percent, sixty percent. We'd like to get your thoughts on that, and the floor is yours for the next twenty Dan, minutes. Thoughts, hit it, go. <laughs> Did we lose? Did he hang up on us? I would have hung know. up. He's there. I Murph, you up. there? I, I'm here, but I, all I heard was thoughts go, so I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> Even better. So I, you, so I didn't say anything. <laughs> you go with it wherever you want to go with it. That's It's it's your turn. No, we're excited to have you on because uh, you're somebody who has known Joe Thomas for a long time, really since uh, – how long were you with the Browns, Dan? Uh, this is my 16th season, so oh. I actually started in 2008 as an intern. Uh, the year after Joe's rookie season, so I didn't get to go through his uh, one his one winning season, which was ten and six. Um, but yeah, we came in around the same time, and we really bonded and got close. Um, you know, we're similar in age, similar uh, sense sense of humor. Um, became kind of became good friends that way. And to be honest, as you know, like the team didn't really have good years those early years, and there was a lot of turnover. So there was always new coaches new players, new front office people every year. And after a few years, Joe and I kind of joked that like, Hey, we're pretty much the only you know familiar face from those, those first, first couple of seasons. Um, so we kind of developed a close bond that way. So what went into, have you, I don't think you've ever written a book before. Have you Dan? I have not. This was my first. So you and uh, Mark Bone, I believe teamed up on this book. What was the process like of writing no ordinary Joe, the, the uh, authorized biography, I believe of Joe Thomas. Correct. Joe Thomas, not your average Joe, the authorized biography from Wisconsin to Cleveland to the Hall of Fame. Um, it actually started while Joe was still playing, to be honest. He came to me one of those last years and said uh, he has he currently has four children. At the time, he only had three. And he said that his kids, you know, have no memories of him as a player at all. Uh, he jokes a lot. I've heard seen him in interviews tell stories about how his oldest, Logan, 
her only memory of being even at a Browns game was just eating peanuts off the floor in the suite. It's the only <laughs> thing she remembers. She doesn't remember her dad being out there or, you know, anything on the field. So he approached me and was just like, you know, I'd be interested in having a book someday just to show my kids. You know, he didn't say this in like a boisterous way, but it was just like mm-hmm. to show my kids kind of my career so they can kind of read about me and what I went through because, you know, they're not going to want to hear my old stories when I'm, you know, when I'm old. They don't want to hear it from me. Um, so he kind of said, hey, someday would you like to help me, you know, put a book together, my, you know, my biography? Um, so, you know, very interested because I went through a lot of these experiences with him during his time with the Browns. And then Mark and I kind of teamed up and um, talked to family, friends, former coaches, teammates of him growing up, um, you know, in Wisconsin and then going to Wisconsin and playing football there and finding out a lot more about him just growing up. Did you talk to Barry Alvarez for the book? I personally did not, but Mark did. Oh, okay. Um, Dan Murphy joining us here on the show. So how long did it take? Go ahead. And that's the thing about Joe. Like, I don't know. I've never met anybody who doesn't like Joe. So there were people, I don't want to say lined up, but anybody we, we approached, they were happy to sit down with us and talk and share their stories about Joe because everyone who interacts with him, like, like you guys, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's, just, he's just a great guy. And you, you walk away from those conversations with him and you're just like, man, what a, what a great guy he is. Um, so people, you know, really excited to kind of sit down and kind of tell their stories about Joe and knowing that he's now a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Without naming names, I'm not asking you to dime anybody out or anything like that. You pay attention to media. Uh, it, it's very odd because I think there was a lot of people who, even in Cleveland media, who before they really knew Joe would kind of pop off at the mouth about Joe when things were getting frustrating for the, for the Browns at times. Uh, was it difficult to know Joe and know him personally and know the struggles that he was dealing with as a team leader, knowing that, that this was not going the direction he wanted to, and then hearing some people uh, kind of draw their ire in Joe's direction, knowing that Joe is such a wonderful guy? Uh, well, that's just who Joe is. Um, I don't think he paid too close attention to what people were saying about him. The one thing he cared about was just being there for his team and doing everything he could for his teammates. That's why the number 10,363 means so much to him. It just represents that he was there for his teammates and his team every play, and he didn't really care about anybody else. He just wanted to be there for his team, and even though you know they didn't really have the team success he wanted, he had the individual success. And, yeah, that, that part was frustrating for him. I remember there was times um, you know, when, they, when the coaches watched the film, you either get a plus or a minus on every play. And Joe has had – I remember him telling me after one game, he was graded by the coach as having a perfect game. Every play he did, he got a plus, which is you know pretty rare. But for someone like Joe, it, it's you know something he could accomplish. And at that game, you know, I don't remember the exact score, but the Browns lost, and we probably lost by a lot. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was it was more frustrating that like he played what the coaches said was a perfect game, and they still got blown out. And so that was the more you know I think he was more upset about that, where he couldn't do more to help his team. Joe would never say this. Um, do you think that there was frustration? Because, I mean, you, it, and I know there might be so many things only you, you can and can't say. I mean, you still you still work with the Browns, Dan. But, you know, I, I know for a fact there were guys who might have mailed it in towards the end of the year, and Joe never did that. Do you think that there was some frustration personally for him with some of those guys? We don't need to name names, but do you think that there was? Uh, I'm, I'm sure there was. It's not something we talked about, but that's something where he, why that, why that snap streak meant so much for him because he wouldn't do anything like that. Um, in the book, there's a chapter in his own words where he talks about the streak 
and how close it came to ending on multiple occasions, not because he didn't want to play, but because um, there's the one story I think most people have heard about uh, where we were, we were kind of beating the Pittsburgh Steelers pretty handily. And uh, I think it was Mike Patton at the time sent Vincent Painter in onto the field to sub him out. And at that point, uh, Patton was pretty new and didn't know that Joe had never missed a snap. Mm-hmm. Joe, Joe sent him. He was like, Hey, you get to get out of here, but he used a little more colorful language, I think. And he comes to the sideline. And the coach is like, what are you doing? We, we don't want you to get hurt. We want to take you out. And he's like, no, I'm in, I'm enjoying this. Like the, the Steelers have beat my butt pretty bad in the past, but I'm going to enjoy this time when we're actually getting a win and I'm not losing my streak for that. Yeah. Um, and that was the thing. Like there was always new coaches every year or two. So, and he's not the kind of guy to walk around and just say, Hey, I'm Joe Thomas. I've never missed a snap. Don't take me out. You know, like it's just something he kept to himself. And um, another time that just kind of shows who Joe is and being there for his teammates. He, it was one of the last, it was, it was the last game of the season and he hurt himself stretching. He was still able to finish the game. And then afterwards he, they did an MRI and he had to have surgery and would have missed four to six weeks. Wow. So, you know, he just kind of got lucky with the timing of that injury or else he would have missed a game. And that's why the snap streak meant so much for him. Just, you know, always being there for his team and, and for the fans in the city. And that's what meant so much to him. Dan Murphy joining us, one of the authors with him and Mark Bona of Joe Thomas, No Ordinary Joe, the authorized biography. Yeah, Dan, I, I, if I'm an outsider, you know, we, we kind of know Joe and we've, we've become friendly with him definitely over the years. But if you didn't know Joe, you would assume that somebody who had this type of career maybe independent of the team. <laughs> I, I try to say that as nicely as possible. I'm sure he would credit some people to helping him develop and whatever, you know, on the Browns. But that maybe he would have wished he would have been drafted by another team. We've never gotten that sense in talking to him, and, and you've spent all that time with him. How much did being a Cleveland Brown truly mean to him and his career? It meant everything to him. He had the opportunity uh, to be traded to Denver at one point, and he told Ray Farmer he didn't want to go. And, and Ray knew what Joe meant to this organization and, and to the fan base. And he didn't want to just do that without having Joe's consent first. And, I mean, it's not cliche. Joe loved it here. And, um, it, you know, just you know, him growing up in Wisconsin and Cleveland, having similar, you know, I guess personality traits, the cities, um, he, it, he just endeared himself to the city. And he became a Clevelander. And he, he never wanted to leave. And it, it meant that he wanted to stay here. And he wanted to be there when things turned around. And he wanted to, you know, run out the tunnel for a home game for the playoffs or be there for the Super Bowl. But it just never happened. But he gave everything he could to make that happen. It, it, I think it's going to be an outstanding book. I think it's a, it's a great piece to get Joe to sign. If anybody's going, you know, out to Canton or anything like that, I'm sure that there's going to be opportunities uh, for Joe to sign some things. And obviously, it'll be a great book and a great memento to have. Dan, where can people find the book? Uh, it is available at Northeast Ohio Bookstores on Amazon at JoeThomasBook.com. The Pro Football Hall of Fame gift shop will be selling some this weekend as well. Um, so, yeah, check it out. All right. If you're going to the Hall of Fame, the gift shop has them. And, of course, you can get it at joethomasbook.com. Dan, thank you very much for the time, friend. All right. Thank you. Dan Murphy, uh, the author. <coughs> I just had a gnat fly in my mouth. I swear to God. Um, I <coughs> Should Farmer have traded him? Uh, okay. I wanted to bring that up with you here. Oh, that wasn't my question. What was your question? Oh, what was it? It was, where does that rank so far in our week of Joe Thomas interviews? That's number one. Number one. Sorry, Alvarez. Sorry. Alvarez has been It's bumped. not his fault. We Tomorrow, have 
Annie Thomas. We have Annie Thomas. Can she bump off oh, Dan oh, Murphy? Okay, now we're talking. I remember that day. I, I don't think I'll ever forget that day. It's one of the most bizarre days ever about when they the rumors came out about them not trade about them trading Joe Thomas. Did I tell you this the entire day yet before? So and if I did, I'm sorry. So it seemed that he was safe. And this was like a fire sale type of thing. Like, oh boy, things are going to hell. And there were a lot of people who were proponents of we love Joe. This was 2015. Yes, yeah. yes. We love Joe. We want Joe to have a chance to be on a winner. And we can also, you do think about yourself here, like we can get a first-round pick for Joe back. Like it was a big deal. And so there were people who said, you know what, he's always going to be special to us. Maybe move on. And to that level of thinking, I could understand. Now, I did think that the fans would be very upset if they were to um, move on from Joe. And I remember that day, during the day, it was, it, honestly, it almost went like Deshaun Watson, where it's like, all right, then, like, remember the Browns were the first team out, and, like, it's like, well, we're going to figure out how to put this thing back together with, with, with Baker Mayfield here. And then, the, like, two days later, the Browns end up being the team that gets Deshaun Watson. When it came to Joe, it seemed that he was going to be safe. The, the, the insiders, the shefters of the world, I remember I think Rappaport was like, he's safe, he's going to be here. And I think the trade deadline was like at four, sometime in there. And I'm t- I was taken, I was actually going number one in the building because we had a show that night. And uh, we, I, I, my, somebody texted me and I looked at my phone. It's like, there are possibilities a trade is back on. And I'm like going, what? And I went over, and this is about an hour before. And this is so ridiculous. So I go out, and I'm going, did you guys see that? I was talking to some people. It's like, did you guys see this? It's like, yeah, like, well, this could change a lot of things if they move on. I'm going, don't do this. You can't trade them now. I mean, people are going to be upset. And I went back to the bathroom, and this was right before they came down and talked to everybody. And I went out of the bathroom, and where the bathroom is, it's right by the main hallway where they come out of their offices and then go downstairs to go talk to the media. And when I came out, I happened to come out at the same time as as Mike Pettin and Ray were walking down the hallway. And I I had this I had this stare, and I I can only describe it as because I was so shocked to see them. And I'm like, oh my god, because. I thought he might get traded. Like I didn't realize they were having the press conference then. And I'm like, Oh my God, he might've been traded. And, uh, I had this look like Samuel Jackson. Was it, was it black snake moan? Mm -hmm. The, the meme of him standing out there in his underwear staring. I basically looked at him like that. And and Mike looked at me like, relax. They didn't, we didn't trade him. Like he get, he looked at me like I was a total idiot and it probably was. And he looked at me like, he's like, stop being dramatic. We didn't trade him. I was like, okay. And I went back in the room. They go and they, they talk to the media at the trade deadline, whatever. And we're getting ready for the show that night. And I went downstairs because, again, the Browns are always good to you. And they always, always hey, you want to eat? You can eat. And I went downstairs to eat. And Joe is down there. And he's talking. He's with some other players. And they're asking him about it. And he is like, I had no idea. I had no. And it's like, there's it's not a media scrum. It is nothing. And I'm not going to tell you everything else. But it was. It was so bizarre. It was such a bizarre thing to see the a legendary player talking about. I had no clue. I swear to God, 
I had no clue and I didn't know. And maybe I was just like, wow, like it would have been life changing in a lot of ways for a lot of us. Fan changing, life changing for him. The whole thing. He wouldn't it was, have a snap streak here. It, it was um, it was bizarre. But he would have avoided Owen 16, right? He would have avoided Owen 16. You're right. But it was just such a bizarre thing to see him talking about to see a player talking about the possibility of his own trade yeah. not in a media setting is a wild thing to to witness and I'll never forget that and like the look on the other guys faces it was a it was a touch and go time I'm glad it or I wish they would have been able to work it out when Joe was here and and be a playoff team obviously I think everybody does Joe loves this organization Joe loves the city I'm I'm glad it I'm glad it finished here cuz if he would have went to Denver, if he would have been traded to Denver and they win a Super Bowl, you know, mm-hmm. we have to share him then. Yes, you do. And you absolutely do. It's not like LeBron is an iconic figure. Joe's an icon here, but it is weird to have to share LeBron. Well, and it would have been very weird to have to share Joe. If he would have went to Denver, still plays the same amount of snaps, still gets hurt, but he's a Bronco when he gets hurt and calls it a career. He's still going in the Hall of Fame, probably first ballot still. Yeah. But he's not a Brown. Everybody recognizes him nationally. Everybody here will say he's a Brown. But that's Everybody when they saw him was the Super Bowl. recognizes him nationally as a Bronco. Yeah. Boy, that would be sad. But I think he might be under pressure to go in as a Brown. Still should trade him. First round pick. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 